Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is Stephen Dimmitt. Today, I am talking with Chelsea Mern. Chelsea is a climbing and business coach. She is the founder of Lady Beta Coaching and is also the host of the Lady Beta Podcast. Chelsea takes a very holistic approach to her coaching and along with offering training guidance for climbing, what Chelsea really does is she helps her clients identify the limiting beliefs that we so often create for ourselves. And she uses a process called brain rewiring to rewrite not only those stories, but the way we see ourselves and ultimately what we believe is possible for ourselves and for our lives. I was really excited to talk to Chelsea, and this conversation really was an introduction to her and then an hour or so of free business coaching for me. And I think many of the nuggets in this conversation will be of great value to many of you, even for those of you who have no desire to become entrepreneurs or start your own business. I think a lot of what Chelsea has to say applies to our lives in general. We mostly focused on the business side of things in this conversation. Chelsea had shared on her Instagram that she made $220,000 last year as a climbing and business coach. And I was really curious to know how she did that. And I was even more fascinated to learn that prior to her business coaching, she made over $100,000 in her first year as a climbing coach, which I frankly didn't know was possible. So in this conversation, we talked about how she got started in coaching and how she hit those numbers I just mentioned. She gave some recommendations for new or aspiring entrepreneurs and talked about how a key to her success in 2020 was getting uncomfortable and challenging herself in ways that made her uncomfortable. We talked about some of the best investments Chelsea has made in herself and the importance of investing in ourselves. We talked about scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset and about using brain rewiring to rewrite our self-limiting beliefs. And we talked about money mindset, which is an area where I have realized that I have a lot of limiting beliefs. And Chelsea gave me some guidance on how to rewire my brain in regards to my beliefs about money. And she gave me some homework to do that I have been doing every day since our conversation. And... I can already feel it changing some of my thought patterns around things like making money and valuing my own work. And I've even noticed it changing how I act in some small but significant ways. And I'm excited to stick with it and see what it leads to. We also talked about favorite fantasy books about Harry Potter and about the moment in Chelsea's life that felt like getting her Hogwarts letter. If you want to work with Chelsea, you can find her at ladybetacoaching.com. She is also very active on Instagram, and I'll be sure to link to her Instagram profile, her website, and the Lady Beta podcast all in the show notes. You can find show notes for every episode at thenuggetclimbing.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram if you don't already at the nugget climbing i've recently been a lot more active over there and you'll be seeing a lot more posts that relate to things that come up on the show 
and I often share photos or videos that we mention, or if I think of a question that I wish I had asked a guest or didn't have time to get into on the podcast, that's where I'll be sharing more of that kind of stuff as well. So again, at the Nugget Climbing on Instagram, and be sure to follow Chelsea at ladybeta.coaching. Again, I'll link to those in the show notes. One quick note, we did get a little bit of feedback in the audio during this recording. I did my best to edit around it, and I think it turned out pretty well. It shouldn't be too annoying. Just know that if you hear some of that, it never lasts more than about a second or two. So my apologies for that, and hopefully it isn't too distracting. Okay, on with the show. Please enjoy this conversation with Chelsea Murray. Good morning, or good afternoon, I suppose. Good afternoon. Happy to be here. Yeah, cool. It's really good to have you here. I actually thought we could start off with morning routines. I'm really curious what you did this morning. Uh, we talked a couple weeks ago, and I and correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember you saying... You know, of course, now you're your own boss and you get to create your own schedule. And I think you said that most days you start working at noon and you work until about 8 p.m. Am I remembering that right? Correct. Yeah. So today started at noon, starting with this interview. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, this week got it to where now all of my mornings are completely free. So I don't have calls or anything. And I usually really try to like protect my morning time um, for things like training or just like getting my everything situated. For me, that helps a lot because otherwise, like I will work 8 a.m. to 8 (laughs) p.m. What was the first thing you did today? How did you start your day? Today, I woke up, I made coffee. And honestly, most of the time I just like sit and listen to music. And I used to be like a really big proponent of like working out first thing in the morning, like before breakfast. And for me, I think it just like kind of taxed my adrenals too much. Hmm. Um, And it like put me in this weird fight or flight mode before bed, because then my body knew I was going to like get up and like instantly start going. Interesting. Yeah, I've been taking a little (laughs) bit slower approach to the morning. Um, Sometimes all if I need to like write an email. I'll do that. Like this morning, I kind of like finished up email stuff for the podcast because I just I didn't really feel like doing it last night. And sometimes I'll save it for the morning. But other than that, I packed up some stuff because I'm moving soon. I went on a nice trail run. And then that was that was pretty much it. I really try to not work before noon. Nice. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, I I struggle with this. If I have something like today where I have something at noon, I have a really hard time doing anything other than preparing for it and feeling like I'm, you know, doing something that's getting my head in that zone beforehand. Um, I don't know. Like until the thing is done, my brain can't help but be working on it. Is there anything that you do? It sounds like music maybe, but is there anything else that you do to disconnect from that? For sure. Yeah. So for me, pairing activities on certain days really helps. So kind of keeping similar things on the same days so that your energy can kind of stay in that flow. And 
really to like being able to schedule things to where you can then tell yourself if you're kind of like, I don't want to say it's like anxiety, but if you know, yeah, something on, is on the schedule later, just like reminding yourself, like it's on the schedule, it's going to get done. I don't need to worry about it. Like mm. my time to worry about it is when it's happening and not before <laughs> then. So for me, it's, it's taken a lot of trial and error. I know when I first started coaching, I, yeah, I literally, I was like, I can't do anything before my calls and they would all be at like 5.30 PM. And I was like, well, I, I like, I can't do anything else during the day. And it just, <laughs> <laughs> took a lot of like actually working with people to be like, yeah, now I can, you know, I can do a lot of different things in a day, but I really like to keep those similar things. So for me, doing things like coaching, interviewing people, that's very masculine energy. You're kind of like taking control, you're organized, and you're really trying to like get to an end destination. We're starting this interview, we're stopping it. So any other things that you can do during the day that keep you in that masculine energy, that can be, you know, really helpful. Hmm. Interesting. I want to come back to masculine and feminine energy. That was an interesting part of our conversation that I want to circle back to. But before that, let's talk more about batching. I'd love to hear some examples of how you batch the work that you do throughout the week. And this was really interesting. I remember you telling me that you keep your phone on do not disturb 24-7. And that was one of those, that was one of those things. I was like, damn it. <laughs> I need to do that. A hundred percent resonated like, oh, my life would be better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, honestly, so like think about it. Every notification that you get, if you're seeing it, that's essentially a bid for your attention. And sometimes that's fine. But for me, if I spend, you know, 20 minutes on Instagram because I got a notification, then all of a sudden it's taking me out of the energy of doing something else. And the email that I'm writing then takes an hour instead of maybe 10 minutes that it was supposed to take. So when you're an entrepreneur, somebody that owns your own business, or if you do just have a lot of things that you want to get done in a day, like that's probably one of the best productivity hacks that I can think of is just like, yeah, don't allow people to essentially pull at your energy all the time, like really create that strong boundary for yourself, it's going to feel really empowering for you. And then you're intentionally going in and checking things. So mm -hmm. for me, if I were to have my phone not on do not disturb, you know, I have clients messaging me, they have 24 seven access to me, does that mean I'm going to respond 24 seven or right when I see it? Definitely not because we train people how to treat us. So for me, it's like, yes, you can reach out to me at any point in time, but I want to make sure that I'm in the right headspace. I'm in coaching mode when I go in to check those messages so that you can get a really good response from me and that we can actually make a lot more progress versus me just responding right when you first ping me. So for me, that's like a really big one. Do not disturb mode all the time. Um, of course, you can always like program certain numbers that can actually reach and get through to you like my mom and my brother and my sisters. Um, but other than that, yeah, it's like, I, I, I'm not super responsive to things like text messages or, you know, because it does, it pulls my attention away a lot. And being able to batch certain tasks on different days, this for me was like, wow, I really wish I would have done this sooner because it was such a game changer. So for me, I do all of my business coaching on Mondays. It really keeps me in that energy. I see all of my one-on-one -on -one clients that day. If I have any group program stuff that's related to business, I do that all on that day. And I really don't do anything else on those days. I don't try to write content. I don't also try to record a podcast. Um, I did that in the past and it literally left me useless on Tuesday and Wednesday. So I was like, yeah, I did a lot on Monday, but then Tuesday, Wednesday, I don't feel very good. So for Tuesday for me is generally podcast day, recording content. That's more of like a feminine energy, creative flow type of day. So I have typical things on a list. I'm like, yep, throughout the day, like it would be cool if I could get these done. Um, you know, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I give myself, you know, usually a couple of weeks to get 
things done. Um, I'm not like a super fast turnaround type of person generally because for me and my specific personality, if I put uh, restraints on myself or if I try to tell myself what to do, I'm like, nope, not doing it. So I try to like give myself as, <laughs> as much lead, lead time as possible. And being able to really keep similar things on different days. I keep my Fridays open. I generally don't like to work on Fridays. Um, sometimes I'll work on the weekends if I feel like it, um, but it just kind of depends. Like if I'm in launch mode and I'm actively promoting a program, product or service, then sometimes I'll work on the weekends just because it's a little bit more and I want to be really involved with the launch. But generally I try to take Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. Hmm. Where does climbing fit in for you at this point? Do you have a weekly schedule? I do. I wish it fit in probably a little bit more, although what I'm learning is the better I get at launching and the better I get at, you know, setting boundaries and really protecting my time, the more I can actually enjoy climbing mm. and not feel guilty about it. I think that's a big one, too. When you own a business, you're like, well, I could be spending my time growing my business. But then also remembering, like, climbing is this thing that brings me so much joy and it's going to allow me to show up better for my clients and in my business if I make time to do this. Mm. So for me, usually I train on Tuesday, Thursday, sometimes Friday, but if I'm going out on the weekends, then usually not. So it honestly, you know, it depends week to week. Some days I'll climb three days a week, some days four. Um, and I generally don't ever climb three days on because just I feel like I'm getting kind of old and that just doesn't really work <laughs> for me anymore. Yeah. So I'm usually like a one day on, one day off. Um, but my sessions, they're really not that long. They're like two hours. And I hired a coach that could write me a training program. Huh. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I could do that for myself, but the amount of like mental energy that was taking me just wasn't worth it. Hmm. I would love to dig into into that. You know, people might assume since you are a coach both in climbing and in business that, you know, why would Chelsea need a coach? She's, you know, allegedly got all this stuff figured out. But I love that. I love that you have a coach. It sounds like for both, for your business and for climbing. What does having a coach do for you at this point? Yeah. Ooh, I love that. And I firmly believe in if you are a service provider or a coach that you probably do also need to have a coach because you're walking the walk and talking the talk. You're, you're telling people, hey, I want you to invest in me, but you don't invest in yourself. Hmm. You know what I mean? So having a coach for me for business, I don't need a coach. I know how to run a business. I'm pretty good at it, but I want one. It feels good for me to have somebody to talk to because being a business owner or an entrepreneur sometimes can feel really lonely because people, you know, like unless you do it, it's really hard to understand. It's like talking to somebody about rock climbing that doesn't climb, you know, and you're like, <laughs> I could see it in their eyes that they're just not quite getting it. So having somebody to talk to that really gets it and understands. And for me, too, I hired somebody that has a seven figure business and is really successful. And I use her as a pace setter. I'm like, that's where I want to be. Like, huh. that is the type of business that I want to run and own eventually. So I'm literally paying to put myself in her energy. I want to create what she's created. And essentially, I'm paying her to give me the shortcut to that process. Because could I figure it out on my own? Absolutely. But do I want to spend all that time doing it? Like, what it comes down to for me is you have two very important resources. You have time and you have money. And you're probably going to spend one of those. And for me, I'd way rather spend the money and get there a lot quicker, mm. you know, really accelerate and shortcut that process. And it feels really good for me because I hold space for so many different people. I have a lot of clients and we talk about very deep emotional things. And for me, it feels really good to have somebody that does that for me as well. And somebody that I can really talk to on that deep level that really gets it. And then as far as climbing coaching, 
coaching goes like, yeah, absolutely. I've trained myself for like 10 years. And <laughs> at this point, I'm like, I don't want to anymore. Um, you know, you're always probably going to be pretty biased. And no matter how much you try to work on your weaknesses, like you're probably just not going to come up with things that somebody from the outside perspective might see for you. And again, it's like, just because you can do it, does that mean you should do it? Like I can write a training plan, but I could also pay another woman and empower her to write a training plan for me, feel really good about that. And, you know, also have somebody to be accountable to as well. Because when you do create your own time and schedule, like sometimes it's like, yeah, you know, I got a lot of work, like maybe I'll just skip this training session. But with a coach, it's like, you know, she can literally see if I haven't done my workout. So it's a little bit more of an incentive. Hmm. I was looking at your Instagram story this morning before we got on the call and I saw it it was just a post about things I'm I the way you phrase it was cool. It said things I get to do today. And the first one was be a guest on the Nugget Climbing Podcast, which here you are. Uh and then the next one was really interesting. I wanted to ask about it. You had a call with your mentor from your No BS Biz program, uh your your business school program. I assume that hasn't happened yet. That's later today. Yep, later today. Um, what might that look like and what do you hope to get out of a call like that? Yeah, so the No BS Biz School, that's my mentors program, and it's kind of like a group program that I get to participate in, which is really cool. So, you know, not only do I have a business coach that I get to meet with her one-on-one, -on -one, but she also has created group containers so that people can really connect and work together. And for me, that's something that I really like doing as well as I like creating group spaces so that, I mean, especially right now, like, yeah, it can be a little hard to uh, find social interaction that you feel good about that's in person. So the virtual world really opens that up and you get to meet people that are in the same spot as you that really understand what's going on and you get to hear other people's perspectives. So being in that group environment, I think is it's not only very empowering, but it's also validating too. like you just I just feel really good from that energy. So that type of call is more of just like, yep, we're just meeting and she's kind of like guiding everybody through the process, answering any questions. And we get to hear from everybody else in the group as well. Hmm. So interesting. It makes me want to get myself a business coach, uh, which which brings me to how we connected, actually. And I want to maybe take a few steps back and give people a little bit more context about who you are and where you came from and why you're on the show. I actually had a friend down here in Waco visiting me, and I think you and I had connected briefly over social media before this. And I, I remember, you know, seeing some of your content, but I was sitting having coffee here in Waco, just camped in the dirt with my friend. And I don't know how you came up, but we were just sitting there talking. And before I knew it, she had spent 30 minutes kind of raving about you, just talking about how much she had learned from just following you on Instagram and how positive that experience had been and how many insights she had gained through just Instagram posts, basically. And so I got curious and I was looking around at your Instagram in more depth and in your profile, you had a line that immediately caught my attention. And that line is that you made $220,000 last year. And that blew me away. It was just one of those like shocking moments where I realized how many assumptions I make about the climbing world. And I'm at this interesting place with this podcast where I'm starting to realize like, wow, this could really be a business. I have a lot of cool ideas. I think this could serve a lot more people. Um, my hope for a long time was just to be able to keep doing it. And then my hope grew into, you know, like, wow, I might actually be able to do this as my job and, and 
maybe buy a house someday. And now I'm like, man, if I change my mindset about that, there's a lot more potential than I had realized possibly. And so seeing that got me really interested in having you on because there's there's a lot of taboo about money in the climbing space. Um, I certainly was under the assumption that, you know, there's just not money in climbing or climbing coaching or any of these things. So that is really what piqued my interest in, in much of what I want to talk to you about today. And I selfishly would love to use this conversation to get an hour free business coaching. And hopefully some of those real life examples uh, will be really helpful for people and they can relate to it. But I thought we could back up one step further and hear where you came from and how you transitioned into coaching. And I thought we could start with uh, the story of climbing your first 513B at Deep Creek. <laughs> oh, I love it. That was a really fun connection. I have I love Deep Creek. I've only been there a couple of days, but I am very fond. I really want to go back. And that was fun to hear that that's a place that you've spent a lot of time. So uh, maybe you could describe for listeners what Deep Creek is. And I'd love to hear that story about that first 13B. Yeah. First of all, really thankful to the gal that uh, connected us. I'm really happy I sent her a thank you note and was like, yes, thank you so much for making this happen for me because, yeah, I had connected with you a little bit and I'm like hoping you'll you'll invite me on the podcast. So it's cool to kind of like see that actually happen. You manifested it. Yeah, manifested it. Yeah, I told you that too. <laughs> I was like, we could talk more about manifestation as well. Oh, but we will. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. With with Deep Creek, um, I've lived in Spokane on and off for quite a few years after graduating college in 2013. That's a place to me that feels a lot like home. I've spent a lot of time climbing in Deep Creek. And I think the reason that I really wanted to like tick off some of the harder things there, there's everything. It kind of starts around 511 and then goes up to 14B or C, I believe. And I really wanted to tick off some of those harder things because the first time that I ever wanted to go to Deep Creek, I remember, you know, expressing my interest to this group of people that was going. And one of these guys turned around and said to me, like, why would you want to go? You can't even climb the warm up. And I was like, oh cool. Guess I won't be going then. Um, and it's funny because I actually ran into that same person after about like seven years, just like last weekend. And I was like, you probably don't even remember what you said to me, but it had a really, <laughs> really long lasting impact on me. And it kind of like drove that fire for me to be like, you know what? Like I deserve to be here. I deserve to be out here climbing. Yeah. Maybe sometimes 511 feels really hard for a warm up, and that's okay. So being able to finally find something like a route that I felt like, okay, this is doable. Like my first probably four or five goes on that route, I was, uh, I was not thinking it was doable. It, every move felt impossible. I was like, I don't know how to expect to string this together at any point in time. But it kind of came down to like, I didn't really want to work on any other routes. It was kind of the one that was the most convenient. It was the dead of summer. So it was pretty hot oh. to do anything else. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, and my partner yeah. at the time too, like he was like, well, I'm going multiple times in the morning. So if you want to come and keep working on this, he's like, I think you can really do it. And I was just so hard on myself, so down on myself. And, you know, I just kept putting the time in and I kept thinking like, yeah, maybe, maybe, 
it's possible. And finally, eventually got it done. It felt really good, really satisfying and realized that like I was literally the only person holding myself back that entire time. Hmm. I was the only person telling me that I couldn't do it. You know, yes, I had that story of somebody else telling me that it probably (laughs) I wasn't going to do well in it, but I had to really let that go. I had to rewrite that narrative for myself. So after that point in time, it opened up a lot for me. And I was like, you know what, like if I could essentially go from climbing low 12s to like mid 513 and just a fairly short period of time, I think I could help a lot of other people do this too, Hmm. you know, and it started out being a lot of just like the physical training. And I really focused on that heavily because I thought that that was the thing that made the biggest difference. And once I started working with a lot of people, I realized like it was actually a lot more of the mindset work that was more important. I kept hearing really similar stories, you know, people that had also been put down, they had really negative self-talk and they just, you know, they didn't think much of themselves. They didn't feel very worthy. So for me, you know, I kind of have shifted away from primarily physical training with climbing coaching to more of the mental side of things and being able to help people with that a lot. Hmm. So many directions we could go with this. Um, Real quick. So Spokane is in Washington. Deep Creek is in Spokane, Washington. Can you describe the crag and the setting? It's a really unique place and climbing style. Yeah, I believe it's basalt. Um, hopefully I didn't get that incorrect. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's fractured basalt. Mm-hmm. It's extremely unique. I have never climbed anywhere similar to that. It's kind of like this mixture of like sharp and glassy. And once you start like dialing in the sequences, like it flows so well, you know, yeah, sure holds have fallen off and you, you glue them right back on, but it's kind of what makes it special too. Like for me, it, it holds a really special place in my heart because it, it kind of like it did. It was like the place that showed me my potential, first of all. And there's just such a wide range of routes that like it probably has some of the best 512s I've ever been on, really mm. good 513s. Like it's just fantastic. And it's tall too. Like most of those routes are like 90 feet. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting setting too. It's in this dried up creek bed, at least part of the year. I think it, <laughs> I think it does flow with water part of the year. But I remember from a few days there, just, you know, Early mornings in the summer, being in shorts with no shirt, just standing on a beach, basically, just standing in the sand, belaying, and yeah, super unique and super fun setting. What was the name of the 13B that you did? I'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah, the first one I did was It's Like That, so it was kind of... um, I don't want to say like a link-up, but it kind of was a link-up from this route called Spineless, and... Yeah, I did that route first, which was a 12C. So I was like, okay, maybe just try the little bit harder variation and see how it goes. <laughs> a little bit harder. <laughs> a little bit harder. <laughs> grades. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's interesting. Transitioning from pure physical coaching into more of the mindset stuff, I imagine there's a lot of carryover there into the business coaching that you do now. How did that first come in for you? How did the business coaching emerge? Yeah, so I started my business officially, it was August or, yeah, I think it was August 2019. Wow. I'm going to let that soak in for a minute. You started your climbing business coaching in August 2019? Mm-hmm. And when did you start the business coaching? So that was in the middle of last year, so I think May 2020. <laughs> and you made... 220k last year that is blowing my mind that is incredible okay okay continue (laughs) good i'm i'm glad i'm 
I'm what I like to call an expander for people. So I like I literally believe that I was like put here to show people what's possible, you know, to like really break yeah. down a lot of Hell those. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> I'm like, I'm here, I did it. Like I can show you all the bank statements, like it's all in cash, like it's all it's all there. You know, there's a big difference between um a cash year and a sales year. So cash is literally like what got deposited into your bank account. So two hundred and twenty thousand dollars in cash versus I'm not even sure what I made in sales last year with things like payment plans and, you know, projected into the next year mm. as well. Um, so I'm not sure what that number is, but it's, you know, probably a lot higher because wow. for me, I wow. do, yeah, I do a lot of things on payment plans just so it makes it a little bit more accessible for people. And also sometimes, yeah, people don't want to pay the investment upfront and I'm totally fine with that. But August 2019 officially started the climbing coaching business. And it was really weird actually how it started is I had my first business coach reached out to me um, in the DMs on Instagram. And she like, we just talked back and forth for a while. And she was like, hey, like, I think you could really use my help. And I was like, that was bold of you. Um, I was like, who are you to assume that I could use your help? But it turns out she was 100% right. Like, she took the time to get to know me, what I was struggling with. And we started working together. And I was working at a grocery store at a time. I was a manager for the vitamins department at a grocery store and trying to do just like the uh, nine to five thing and, you know, got a real adult job with benefits and everything. And I was miserable. I hated it. I hate showing up at work at a certain time. I don't like being told what to do. So I was like, something's got to change. Like it was a really scary investment for me at first. I think, I believe my first coach was $3,000 for three months of business coaching. (laughs) And I remember actually telling my dad that and him being like, are you insane? And I was like, no, I'm just, I just don't want to be in this situation anymore. And I was like, you know what? Like, It came down to like, yes, spending the money was really uncomfortable. And it was like all of the money that I had in my bank account. Like, and I was on this really long payment plan initially, but it was scarier and more uncomfortable to me to stay where I was at and to keep working at the grocery store and to not like take that chance on myself. And I'm really happy that I did because just a couple months into it, actually, it was about, it was less than two months into starting my business. I was actually able to quit my full-time job. Um, I had replaced my income with what I was doing with climbing coaching. And I was like, you know what, like, maybe a lot of people wouldn't be ready at this point in time, but I'm ready, you know, like freeing up 40 plus hours a week. I wonder what I could do. I wonder how much more income I could generate. And I think I'm just going to take the chance. And you know what, like, if it doesn't fucking work, I have a backup plan, like not going to burn any of these bridges or anything. But I'm really glad that I did take that leap to, to quit because then my next couple of months were significantly higher. And then January 20. 20 came and holy moly, it was like an incredible like new universe, new world. Um, I hit, I had my first 16K month, which was, I didn't even think that was possible. I was like, I, what are those numbers? Like, I was like, did I do the math right? Like, I think I need to go back and count this by hand um, because I just like, I literally wasn't believing what I was seeing. And from then on, I was like, you know what? I think I can make 100K this year. I was like, I'm going to see if I can make that happen. And What it really came down to is like, I needed to make sure that I was listening to my audience and getting to know them to the point where I could sit here and identify like, here's 
this woman that I want to be my ideal client and I know everything that she's struggling with. I know the thoughts in her head and when I write content, she's gonna actually read that and be like, holy shit, how are you in my head? Hmm. So that for me is really important is creating programs, products and services that people actually want and need and taking that time to do the market research because you can think that you have a really great product, but if nobody is actually struggling with things enough to actually be able to take action on it, then it doesn't really matter. So my job as a business owner is to figure out like, okay, what are the struggle points? What are the pain points? And then create offers and programs around that that actually really help people. So for me, I was able to hit 100K in revenue just off of climbing coaching. And I really wanted to make sure that I did that first so that I I proved to myself like, okay, yes, climbing coaching can be very profitable. It can be very lucrative if you do it the right way. And if you, you know, pair up with somebody like a business coach, somebody that has created that, you know, job for themselves, then you're going to be able to learn a lot from them. And hitting that 100K point, I was like, okay, cool. I think I actually really want to move more in the business direction because that for me was, it's fascinating. I could talk about business all day long. I love it. I love hearing people's stories, how they grew their business, what they do. And for me, I run a very intuitive sensed business and the fact that like I really listen to my intuition on things and so far it's really steered me in the right direction so when I work on clients with their businesses I really teach them like you know what there's so much strategy that we can do here but let's really listen to your intuition what's the direction that you want to go what lights you up what gets you excited let's go down that direction and if something's not feeling right let's back up and see why that is Hmm. The fact that you made $100,000 just through climbing coaching gives you so much credibility. I mean, that was one of the things that really caught my attention. I'm always wary of people that make a lot of money by teaching you how to make money <laughs> without, without having made the money first, you know, and having a system. So, yeah, that, that's just incredible. And it was just one of those things like I absolutely if you had asked me even a few weeks ago before you and I talked, if it was possible to make $100,000 a year through climbing coaching as an individual, I would have said, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. It doesn't scale, whatever. I just wouldn't have believed it. So that is so interesting. I would love to hear, just to give the audience a, a better kind of sense of what you do. Can you give me some examples of the business clients that you work with and, and their businesses and maybe some of the changes that you've seen through working with some of these ladies? And is it is it all women that you work with? Primarily, yeah. Primarily, okay. Yeah, sometimes, like right now I have a client, um, I have two two guy clients, and it just kind of depends on their energy. Um, it, you know, it's I'm pretty selective about it. I primarily work with women because... Again, that intuitive thing is really important to me. And I think women most of the time have an easier time listening to that within themselves. Um, For me, I am definitely into the strategy side of things, but I'm not so hardcore into the strategy where we're going to like deep dive into the Instagram algorithm. Like that's just not really something that I'm interested in. I'm way more interested in can we get in the DMs and make genuine connections with people? And then when the time comes and you create your program and you're like, hey, I actually talked to this person about this. I think they'd be a perfect fit for this program, then go personally invite them. That's the things that I'm definitely more interested in. So for me, when I work with clients, it's primarily people that are climbing coaches or they work with climbers in some capacity. But I've also recently been expanding more into just service-based entrepreneurs. So I typically don't really work with people that have product-based businesses or brick and mortar type of businesses where they have a physical location. So for me, service-based entrepreneurs can be anybody from, let's say, a physical therapist. It could be somebody that may 
maybe provides massage, maybe it's a running coach. So anybody that has a service that they offer and they primarily work online. And for me, I just really love working in that capacity because that's, I mean, that's what I feel like I know best. I was able to build, you know, a successful business off of that model. And it's something that I feel like I know how to scale really well. So generally when I work with people, we start on really building out their one-on-one offers. So you're always going to get the biggest and best transformation working with somebody one-on-one because you're, you're literally sitting there talking to them. They're hearing exactly what they're saying and they're giving you direct feedback. You're usually going to get the best results with that. So I usually have people build those offers out first so that they can get people really good transformations and they can get people that social proof and the testimonials that they need to then start growing their business in other ways. I generally don't recommend that people create something like a passive offer or a group program without doing that one-on-one step first, because how can you really know unless you kind of like have your boots in the mud? Like unless Mm. you've really done all that work working with people in that like very deep capacity, then you can start to like scale it on a broader sense. And, you know, you can go the direction of doing something like drop in classes, you can do something like a group program, which for me right now is kind of one of my favorite ways to do things as the group programs because it creates community, it brings people together and you get friends kind of from all over the world, it's really fun. And then also building out those passive offers, but that's kind of only once you've really gotten a handle on, okay, I've worked with so many people at this point that I can really tell, okay, here's a common thread of what people struggle with and I can start to put this into an offer that I know can help a lot of people. Hmm. My brain just is churning. I'm trying to think of uh, all of this through the lens of the podcast and my own business here. (laughs) Um, But we can come back to that. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about investing and the investments in particular that you've made in yourself. And I have a note from our conversation a couple weeks ago. You told me that you invested or you have likely invested $80,000 in coaching for yourself which is fascinating to me. And, you know, your your earlier story about spending $3,000 on this business coach and your dad being really skeptical, it is so funny that we'll spend, you know, $100,000 on university and we're so reluctant to spend a few hundred dollars or $1,000 on something, some course or some class that might change our lives once we actually have a better idea of what we want to do with our lives. But I would love to ask, what are some of the best investments that you've made in yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is something that I'm really passionate about as well, because if I had never invested in that first business coach, I would not be where I am right now. And that was probably one of the scariest decisions that I've ever made in my entire life. I remember being on the phone with my first coach and being like, I'm in. I have literally no idea how I'm going to make this money happen, but I'm in. Like, I was like, okay, I mean, I guess it's just going to fall out of the sky because I don't have it right now. Start selling more vitamins. Yeah, I was like, I guess I'll sell. I literally, I sold my snowboard. I literally, I was like, I'm going to sell clothes, like whatever I can do to make this happen. Because again, like I needed something to change in my life for something to change. And a lot of the times when we meet hesitation around investment. So whether it's, you know, working with somebody like a coach or a program or a service, we're not necessarily questioning the coach or the effectiveness of the program. What we're really worried about is, am I going to follow through and get the results? Am I worth it enough to spend money on? And a lot of the times I think that decision making comes from scarcity mindset and really thinking like, if I spend this here, it's gone. It's never coming back. But for me, I really try to make all of my decisions out of an abundance mindset, knowing that like, you know what, if I put this money out 
into the world, into the universe and do good with it, then you know what? It's absolutely going to come back to me tenfold. And mm. yeah, last year I invested around $80,000 in coaching, um, sat down with my accountant and was like, wow, that that was a lot more than I thought, actually. Um, but, you know, I, <laughs> wow. w- I wouldn't do anything differently because from that, that's why I was able to grow my business so quickly. Um, I had two different business coaches last year. I was in a group business coaching program. I was able to have, you know, when I injured my finger, I was able to get help with rehab. Like there's so many different ways that I invested in myself. And I think I would probably be like five or six years out from being where I am right now if I hadn't done that. So for me with investing, like, yes, there's going to be a certain element of fear involved. Like it shouldn't feel comfortable. Like investing shouldn't just be like a drop in the hat, be like, yeah, whatever, doesn't matter to me because it's not going to hold you accountable enough. It's not going to push you to grow or expand, but it should also not be so uncomfortable to where you're like, I literally can't buy groceries. So for me, that's kind of like the <laughs> defining point is like, yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable, but that's going to push you to grow and that's going to cause you to rise to the challenge versus like, eh, it doesn't really matter. Maybe I can skip some calls. And I mean, that way you're just, you're not going to get results that way. Hmm. That reminds me, something that you just said reminds me of another note that I had jotted down. And I had asked you, you know, in my usual way, I had asked you if there were any key things, like kind of following the 80-20 principle, you know, like what were the few things that led to the biggest changes towards that $220,000 a year last year? And I have a quote from you, and it just said, I was uncomfortable every day of 2020. (laughs) (laughs) which I absolutely love. Can you expand on that? Yeah. Yep. I was definitely, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are uncomfortable in 2020 as well, but for me, it was literally like, you know what, if I have these big goals, these big visions for myself and for me, I'm somebody that hasn't really been used to like being in any sort of like spotlight. Like I haven't been used to like sharing my voice or really like putting myself out there. And what I realized is like, you know what, if you want this big business, like you have to put yourself out there. You have to get uncomfortable with that scenario because how are you ever going to show people what they can do if you can't say what you've done yourself? So for me, I think, yeah, every night I went to bed, I was like, oh God, did that one thing today that was really uncomfortable. And you know, in the beginning, maybe that was like going live on Instagram and literally just like putting my face out on the internet, or that was pitching people to my programs. You know, that's how I filled a lot of my earlier programs is by personal invites, because I got to know the people. And I was like, you know what, like, I created this. And I really do think that you'd be such a great fit for this program. Is this something that you'd be interested in learning more about? That was really uncomfortable for me, just like, literally being like, yeah, I created this thing. Like, you know, here, if you want it, it's right here. If not, that's totally fine, too. But like, being able to do that was a huge step for me. Sometimes I still struggle with it, but for the most part now I'm pretty concrete and I know what I have to offer is really valuable for people. And I think on the other side, like sometimes it feels really special for somebody to reach out to you personally and be like, hey, I thought of you for this thing. Is this something that you'd be interested in? And for me, getting uncomfortable with that means sometimes too is investing. Like I remember there was a day last year where I spent $37,000 in a day and I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, Oh my God. What did you spend it on? 
so half of it was for coaching and the other half of it was for retirement. Um, and I was like, okay, good. The retirement, yep, I know that's going to be there, but it was still like so scary seeing all of that money leave my bank account. And, <laughs> you know, I went into that like fear and scarcity mindset and I was like, oh my God, it's never coming back. It's never coming back. And just kind of like sheer panic. And then I was like, take a step back. Like every single time you've invested, it's come back tenfold. It's going to happen this time too. Mm. So like kind of just like talking myself out of that and, you know, like that's that's just part of the game. Like, I think a lot of the times we think, okay, I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to make this choice. And then life is going to be easy. It's going to feel good. And that's kind of like what we're always chasing is just like feeling good. But what we don't realize is it's like new level, new devil. There's always going to be something else that you have to overcome because that's the human experience. The the human experience is not to just like be comfortable all the time. <laughs> I want to uh, circle back around later to money mindset. I think that's a really interesting conversation. Yeah, I think that that is something that's a powerful one for me and I think probably for a lot of people in the climbing industry. But before that, I imagine that a lot of people listening to this can feel your energy and can hear you talk about the amount of energy that you put into this last year and are probably feeling kind of overwhelmed by that, you know, like maybe they're the person that's sitting, like I was, sitting in their cubicle, not happy with their job, wanting to do something different, but like, God, I don't know if I want to put every every minute of every day or every bit of energy I have every day into this thing. I don't know if I want to invest all of my spare money in this. I would love to ask you about this idea or this theme that you focus on with your clients of building a business and not a hustle. Can you speak to that? Yes, absolutely. And that's a really good point too. Like you can, you can absolutely build a business, you know, working 60, 80 hours a week. And for me, I did a lot of that in the beginning. You know, there was a lot of hustle involved in the beginning stages of my business. And I think if anybody were to tell you to not do that in the beginning stages, like it's probably not true or they forgot that they went through that themselves. <laughs> like it is, that's, I mean, that's literally what it requires, you know, to get things off the ground, you're probably <laughs> going to be working a lot. And for me, it was always worth it because the thing that I value the most is freedom and having like freedom over my time, over my person. Like, so for me, like, yeah, you know, there was a point in time where I was working 40 hours a week and then doing my business in literally every other spare second. And, you know, it was something that felt really motivating because, yeah, I was getting, you know, paid for it and it felt like it was actually making a really big impact and that felt really cool. But it was also something to where I was like, I can't sustain this. Like, I can't work this hard, you know, always. So there was a certain point in time, I think in 2020, where I realized I was like, I don't even think I'm rock climbing like at all. Like, as I think I was like, I think I've gone on like maybe one trip, like one day trip. And like, I was like, wait, like, wasn't the entire point of this so that I could go climbing more? <laughs> I was like, what am I doing? And I was like, I've got to do yeah. things differently. So it was this really scary decision to move away from one-on-one -on -one coaching and to start doing more group programs and to start doing more passive offers. You know, I really love working with people on a one-on-one -on -one capacity and you can absolutely build a very successful business, but it's hard to scale because essentially what you're doing is you're trading your time for money. Mm. So being able to cut back on that, you know, I was... 
I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to try really hard to fill these group programs and, you know, hope that it just like really works out and that I don't end up having a group program full of two people. <laughs> um, so that, again, was like really motivating being like, yeah, there has to be, you know, there's a minimum number for this group to run. And if you're somebody that's sitting there and you're like, okay, yeah, I don't love my job. I'm just not really sure. Like get really clear on what it is that you're good at. So ask your friends, ask people for outside perspective and really say like, okay, what do you think? Am, am I really good at, you know, maybe community building? Am I somebody that is able to give a lot of advice? Am I somebody like, do I have certifications like a personal training cert or something that maybe that could be my step into things? So for me, I, I didn't think that I wanted to do climbing coaching for forever. It felt relatively shallow to me um, because I knew there's a lot of these other things like the mindset work that ultimately I wanted to get into, but I wasn't sure how or when that was going to happen. And so climbing training was the thing that got me into it. It got me started and then allowed me to shift away from it as well. So the thing that you go into business with might not be the thing that you end up with. And mm. that's okay too. So like whatever gets you in the door. So being able to get that outside, you know, help is really important. And I mean, again, I would, I would honestly recommend hiring somebody like a business coach, or at least going through a coaching program to where you can see like, okay, is this a good fit for me? Is this something that I could see myself doing and having that instruction along the way? Because if you never get any feedback on it and you're just trying to do it by yourself, like my, during my first launch, I probably would have quit. I probably would have been like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. It was really hard. And I was very thankful to have a coach to be able to talk to. And she's like, you know what? It feels hard, but that's because there's growth on the other side of this. And that's because this is what expansion feels like. And she was right, but I probably wouldn't have known that if I wouldn't have been able to talk to her about it. Hmm. What does your work-life balance look like now? How much do you typically work in a week? Do you mind if I ask you that? Yeah, no, I don't mind. Um, it looks a lot, a lot better now. So kind of like I said, was like, this is the first week where all my mornings are free and I am literally so happy. I am like, I have, <laughs> this, is the, <laughs> this is the least amount of calls I think that I've ever had in a week. So when I say calls, it's things like on Mondays with my one-on-one -on -one clients, my group calls and everything. So that number has reduced greatly and I'm still making the same amount of money, but it's because I'm being smarter about it because I'm running larger group programs and things like that. So I'm spending less time, but I'm making a bigger impact. And it's also at a you know better price point for the participants in the group program because it's a group program. So for me, making shifts like that was really important to be able to free up some of my time because what I'm realizing and as I get further into this is I need a lot of open time and space to feel creative, to be able to actually sit down and record content and be happy with it. Um, again, I'm not somebody that can just be like, do this thing right now and time block things out. Some people work really well with time blocking. If I were to give myself two hours to do something, I would do everything else except that thing for two hours. I would be like, nope, that's, <laughs> that is the thing that's not happening. I'm going to actively avoid that just because it's on the schedule. Yeah. But yeah. Being able to free up a lot of that time, I mean, I probably work, I, I typically try to not work on Fridays. So, I mean, right now I'm going to say around 40 hours, but I haven't, I haven't actually sat down to track it. So it could be more and it could be less. And I took a lot of this week off. I took most of Monday, most of Tuesday off, worked a little bit yesterday on Wednesday. And honestly, like 
I was, I was really happy with that. And I, you know, I felt that like internal guilt and pressure to like, Hey, you should be working. And then I was like, you know what? I just had a massive launch that ended. (laughs) I don't need to do things. Um, as a business owner and entrepreneur, there's always things that you could be doing always, you know, your, your list is literally never ending, you know, (laughs) it's always getting longer. Yes. I know. I like check one thing off and like five other things pop up and I'm like, this. (laughs) it's like the Hydra. (laughs) Yeah. It's like Medusa (laughs) and you can't, can't get on top of it. But I know that for me, when I get into like those lower energy states where like, I'm, I'm really not feeling good. I I don't feel like I'm showing up well. It's worth it to me to take an entire day off so that I'm not spending multiple days operating at 50% versus taking one day off and then returning at 80 or 90% and feeling a lot better. Mm Mm-hmm. Where do you hope to get to? Like, what is your goal for this thing? Do you, are you content working 40 hours a week? Do you hope to get to a better work-life balance? How do you think about that? That's a good question. I think for me, what popped into my mind first was like, I want a seven-figure business. That for me has been, I think, a goal because it seems almost impossible. I'm like, what I, What does that look like? What is, you know, I'm, I'm unsure what that is actually. So that's something that I definitely want to work towards, but I don't want to do it working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Like, no, thank you. That's, that's not the point. And I think for me right now, I feel pretty good with things. I love that my mornings are open. I love that I, you know, and able to have that flexibility and freedom. And sometimes it's scary too, to think about working less. But I think probably the theme that I'd be going with is like the minimum effective dose. So it's like, what is the minimum effective dose that keeps me working towards my goals, but also gives me a lot more free time. And for me, I'm moving to Leavenworth, Washington next week, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to want some more free time. I'm going to want to go out and climb. Like it's just, you know, like I'm moving literally to the boulders so that I can go rock climbing some more and have a little bit more flexibility. And I think for me, what it looks like is probably moving away from working one-on-one with people and doing more group and passive offers to free up more of that time and really having things like, yep, okay, when I feel like being creative and I have an entire day, great, let's, you know, push out some content for a program and be able to show up really well for that. So in terms of like working hours, I'm unsure because I also do love doing it. So it's like sometimes like if I if I legitimately like have a Saturday or Sunday and I don't have plans, I'm like, I will start working because it's something that I actually really do enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that too. It's It feels like play. It's really fun. So you mentioned a couple of of your recommendations or ways that you would think about guiding someone who's, you know, stuck at the job that they don't like thinking about starting something and building something. And I wonder if we could take that back to my friend uh, who introduced me to you. And maybe I I wonder if you have any specific recommendations for someone in her position. So she has a job that she doesn't love. She makes enough money to get by. She's kind of your classic uh, frugal dirtbag climber. Like she'll do whatever it takes to be able to save up money to go on trips and stuff like that. But, you know, I think the thought of her spending $3,000 on coaching would actually keep her from being able to buy groceries. <laughs> so I think... <laughs> we don't want that. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I think there's a, there's a you know, a tricky line there. But um, I think she is coming around to... This idea of like, man, I do have a lot to offer the world. I am capable of more. Where do I start? And I gave her the challenge. I love this. This is an idea I got from Seth Godin, who's a mentor of mine. And I, I've never met him in person, but I've I've learned so much from him. And he 
gets asked a lot, like, Seth, how do you come up with so many good ideas? And he always says, or, or someone will say, I can't think of any good ideas. I keep trying, but I can't think of good ideas. How do you come up with so many good ideas? And he says, well, show me all of your bad ideas because I have had way more bad ideas than good ideas and you need to come up with ideas and a lot of them are bad and then eventually a good one will pop up. You need to get the bad ones out of the way. So I gave her the challenge of just writing down in her journal just one bad business idea every single day just to start getting them out of the way so she can get to the good ones. But um, I'm curious, what would you say? Like where, you know, if she's asking, where do I even start? <clears throat> what are your thoughts for someone like that? Yeah. So first of all, looking at background, and I honestly think that looking at your personality and your disposition as well is really important. And, you know, when I say like get uncomfortable, that's a lot different than like do something that like actively does not work for your personality. You know, that's going to be a whole different story there. So for me, I, I don't really love working in person with people. I really like the online aspect of things. So I've worked in person with people before and it just, you know, that's just not something that works for me. So looking at, you know, her experience, her background, what she's done before and the elements of that that she has enjoyed. So yes, you know, there's going to be certain aspects that are like really uncomfortable, like reaching out to people, pitching yourself and like saying, hey, I'm here. Um, but I think probably one of the deeper things too is a lot of people have this fear of being seen. And mm. what it really comes down to is like, am I worthy? Do I have value? Do I bring value to people? And a lot of the times, like we're waiting for that. We're almost like waiting for the confidence to come to take the first step. And that's not how it works. You have to take the first step to build the confidence. And I always tell my clients, like, can you have courage in that moment to start your journey? Can you have courage to take bold action to actually get the thing starting? Because if you're waiting for confidence, it's not, it's not going to happen. It's not going to fall into your lap and just, like all of a sudden then things are going to change. So it's like, you do have to take a little bit of that action every single day. And what I would probably recommend for that is start following different coaches on, let's say something like Instagram, you know, people that you really resonate with and people that speak to you and surround yourself in their energy. So any way that you can, and that's why I'm more than happy to pay my business mentor her prices because I want to be in her energy. I want to, I want to be where she's at and I don't surround myself with people that are in a lower vibration or frequency than I am because that's going to bring me down. And that's, you know, I've been there before. I'm not looking to go back there. I'm looking to go up at this point in time. So really taking a look too about the story that you've told yourself about yourself up until this point. So have, have you been potentially treated poorly in past work environments? Probably, you know, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that has to project forward into the thing that you want to do in the future. And a lot of the things that I do with clients really do encompass their mindset and how they feel worthy and how they feel valuable and getting them to at least come around to the idea that like, yes, if you want to build this very successful business, it will require you being seen by people. Because if nobody sees you, they don't know you exist, and they will never buy anything from you, you know, and like, when it comes down to it, like, you have to be able to sell things in order to have a business. That is how it works. But, you know, going back to like doing the market research and really making sure you have what people want, like you're offering exactly what people are struggling with. And then selling at that point really just becomes a solution. You know, it's it's not selling. It's not icky. It's saying, hey, I know you have this problem. Here's the solution. I created it. If it's for you, it's for you. So 
really getting clear on, you know, like what are the things that I'm telling myself right now currently that are holding myself back? Because you're the common denominator in every single situation. It's always going to be you holding yourself back. And what are the stories around there? Are they actually true? Mm. I have a note here that says backpack full of rocks. <laughs> it seems, seems relevant. Can you speak to that and tie that into this idea? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep, I do. Okay. Yep. So <laughs> this is this is something that has made like a very long lasting impact on me. Um, and what somebody told me one time was like, okay, so get really clear on the stories you're telling yourself. Get really clear on your shit, essentially. Like, why are you being so negative to yourself? Like, where did all these stories come from? And then this idea of release. So like, you would never hold on to something that you knew was actively holding you back. So once you get really clear and you get radically honest with yourself about all the lies that you've been telling yourself, you're going to be able to take off that backpack full of rocks and you're not going to try to like climb up the wall with it anymore. Like you're going to know like, yeah, like I'm the one that's literally been putting the rocks in my backpack and making this more difficult on myself. Yeah, <clears throat> we were having a conversation about self-limiting beliefs and I think you made the analogy that it's like just adding these rocks to this backpack that you're always carrying around. And, you know, at some point, if you don't ever sit down with your backpack and look at what's in there and start removing rocks, then it's just going to get harder and harder to do anything. So yeah, um, that's something I've written about and thought about a lot in the past. So it really resonated, but, <laughs> but I like that. Um, another thing that came to mind that I'll share from my own experience. And I thought of this when you were talking about like, you know, waiting to move or waiting to take a leap until you have that idea fall out of the sky and how it doesn't work that way. That really resonates with me. And something I haven't talked about on the show and that I, I would want to share is that the podcast, you know, I, I sat in my cubicle for many years, uh, not happy and trying to just racking my brain for other things that I could do in the world and absorbing a lot of content and looking to a lot of mentors, kind of like you were saying, people like Seth Godin or Naval Ravikant for people that are interested and just starting to build this belief in myself that I could be an entrepreneur, that I could create something. I had never thought of myself that way. But the podcast was like the fourth thing that I tried, not the first thing. I actually, I remember for months, I would go on these walks on my breaks at work and just brainstorm and come up with ideas and, and come back to my cubicle and kind of break them down and really think through like what they would actually look like if I took action. And a lot of them were bad ideas and like, ah, oh, that, that wouldn't really work or be a good idea for all these different reasons maybe too much upfront cost, too much risk, whatever. And I eventually started an Amazon business selling camping mugs on the internet. Uh, that was somewhat successful, not terribly successful, but it was a massive step in starting to believe that I could build something um, in showing me the potential of what you could do from behind a keyboard at your computer in today's world. It's really incredible what you can do. And then I started a daily blog, started writing a blog every day. I did that for over a year and just wrote these little posts sharing ideas. And that was a massive challenge for me because I struggle from the same thing. I, I both, it's really interesting. I both really crave to feel seen and to feel known. And I'm terrified of it <laughs> at the same time. And um, like the intros that I record for this are like the hardest part because I, I know it's just me and it's just me sharing my voice and ideas or, or even just talking about the guests, but it feels really vulnerable. I have never yet 
done an Instagram video of myself talking into my phone. That seems terrifying to me. A live feed seems absolutely terrifying to me. So I think that idea is really interesting. But without that daily blog and without that Amazon business, that moment where I came across the idea for the podcast where it sparked and really resonated I think I would have just passed right by that moment. You know, I would have been like, oh, someone should make a podcast about this. And then that would have been it. I would have just kind of cruised along. So that was one thing I encouraged my friend was just, you know, pick a direction and take a leap and do something. And it doesn't have to be the right direction. But if you start moving, in my experience, it's a lot easier to make small course corrections from there. And through movement, you find yourself slowly being guided closer and closer towards the path that will really resonate that you really want to be on. But if you just sit there and wait for the directions to become clear to you, you'll never do anything. 100%. Yeah, it's so. not, it's probably not going to fall into your lap. Um, I think I read this thing the other day that said most entrepreneurs have about 3.8 failed businesses before they actually find one that's successful. And, for, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, 3. oh, 3.8. Yeah. 3.8, huh? So like maybe on your fourth-ish <laughs> one, that'll start, you know, really paying off. But like, it really is about the long game. And it's about showing up when you don't think anybody's watching. And it's about staying consistent and touching on your point about, you know, the lives or the stories, you know, being and seeming scary. The reason that it's so important is because you want to give your audience that chance to know, like, and trust you. Because if they know, like, and trust you by seeing your face, your facial expression, and really getting a good idea of who you are as a person, they're going to be that much more likely to buy from you. You know, if you go to somebody's Instagram profile and you're like, what is, what does this person even look like? Like, are you going to buy from them? Probably not. So being able to really increase that factor, I think is super important and giving them the opportunity to interact and engage with you as well. And yeah, knowing that like, you know, that 3.8 number, like I don't want that to scare anybody off, but that's saying like, stick with it. Like you're going to find something that really clicks. And before I started my coaching business, I actually thought I was going to be like a food blogger. Um, I tried that for like a year. I had a blog and I wrote recipes and, you know, did all this stuff and it was horrendous and it did not go anywhere. It was legitimately <laughs> awful. I think the only thing I got out of it this one time was like a $50 Amazon gift card from like a flower company, like, like red flower. Um, and honestly though, I mean, it was a really good lesson. It was really discouraging, but it was a good lesson that saying like, you know what, you can try to DIY your business as much as you want, but it's probably not going to go anywhere. And mm. the reason that this business lady beta has been so successful is because I continue to invest in myself and seek out people that are at that level that I want to be at. Hmm. One thing I want to reiterate and maybe it goes without saying but with all this talk about sales you know it's worth reiterating that this isn't like sleazy car sales stuff and i think people will recognize that but it you know what comes first is creating real value for people and then learning how to ask for enough support for that thing to be able to do it again and again and in bigger ways and help more people and you know that was something i learned through this amazon idea I was selling camping mugs and, you know, maybe I could justify camping mugs because it shares this idea of getting outside and lifestyle and, you know, the kind of life that has been really fruitful and giving to me. But it felt kind of icky. I was like trying to convince people to buy physical things that 
that just felt like adding more stuff to the world. And I was buying them from China. And, you know, there's just a number of reasons why it, it just felt a little bit more like sleazy car sales. And I think something that I've learned for myself and that I've, uh, you know, heard from people like Seth Godin and I've seen in a lot of friends of mine that have started their own businesses is the more you lean into and look into your own authentic curiosity. For me, it was realizing, making this connection, like I'm obsessed with podcasts. Podcasts have changed my life. I listen to them constantly and I've learned countless lessons from all of these mentors that I have in my pocket on this phone. You know, it's an, it's an incredible opportunity to be able to be a fly on the wall and listen to these conversations <clears throat> and connecting with connecting that with realizing, wow, there's a podcast that doesn't exist that I would have loved and paid a lot of money for, for the last decade. You know, I wish it had existed. It would have helped me out. And then realizing, holy shit, I think I can actually make that. And I think I know what that would look like. So anyway, um, and you've done the same, you know, looking at what you have spent money and invested money in. Now you're giving back in that way and creating so much value for people. It's, it's an incredible thing. Um, I want to circle back to money mindset in a second, but before that, I had a listener question that feels really relevant right now, so I want to dive into that. This is from Kyle. Let me see here. Listener question. Oh, my gosh. Listener. (laughs) (laughs) He had a few questions, and I'll ask one of them here. He wanted to know if you had any advice for someone wanting to transition to a career within the climbing industry. And your thoughts on whether someone should like moonlight a project and, and what I mean by that and what he means is keep your full-time job, keep your day job, have a stable you know, income and then work on something after hours and moonlight it versus just going for it and committing to the project. What are your thoughts on that and, and how do you guide your clients through thinking about that? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, there's there's a kind of fine line between, yeah, if you go all in, you have all your attention, all your focus, but are you going to feel so stressed out that it's actually hindering your creativity and hindering your ability to show up? Because then are you showing up out of fear and desperation? Because that's not, you know, a great way to start a business. It's not really a great way to get people to work with you because people can feel that energy. So there's, there's going to be this point in time where you realize, okay, yes, I have have my full-time job and I'm doing the side hustle at the same time. And this full-time job kind of feels like a crutch. You know, it feels safe. Um, I would argue with that. So people kind of tend to refer to nine to fives as safe, um, you know, especially ones with benefits and whatnot. But I think the safest option is always betting on yourself every single time. I mean, we've seen very clearly in 2020 that a lot of crazy things can happen. And, you know, if companies can let people go like that, but if you're employed by yourself, you're a lot more in control of that future than working for somebody else. So for me, it's really like, at what point in time are you ready to start betting on yourself? Because your full-time job is going to be holding you back at a certain point and getting really honest with that. And again, it's kind of like making that decision to invest is like, okay, yes, like it should scare you a little, but not so much to where you're so stressed out that like you can't even get the full value of the thing that you're doing. So, I mean, generally 
what happens, and this is kind of how I made my decision. I'm not saying everybody should make their decisions like this. I probably, you know, I was pretty rash because I was like, I really don't like this job. I really don't want to stay here. <laughs> um, I matched my income from my, you know, full-time job to my part-time job. And at the time it was only probably like $2,600 a month. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm good. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to quit now. Um, and yeah, my parents were like, that is a poor decision. You were making bad choices. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it really, it depends too how you think about money. And I mean, it probably is all interconnected, but like if you are living in that place of scarcity and fear, it's probably going to feel a lot harder for you to take that step forward and to let that full-time job go. But here's the thing is like, if you've gotten one full-time job before, you can get another better one at some point in time. Like, you know, like we're so afraid of the future sometimes that it like literally stops us from taking those steps forward and making sure like, Whenever, you know, I have hard decisions or my clients have hard decisions, like, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's walk it through. But ultimately, at the end of the day, like, I want to make sure that you're making your decisions out of love, love for yourself, because Hmm. you believe in yourself, you believe in your message, and not out of scarcity and fear, like scarcity, like, oh, I just don't think I'm going to be able to make this work or scarcity, like, oh, I'm going to stay small and keep working here and like, hold my potential back. Hmm. Making decisions out of love for yourself. Yeah. Interesting. I want to get to the part where I ask very self-serving questions about my own business. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> Let's dig into money mindset. I've mentioned it a few times and uh, you've mentioned it a few times. And this is definitely my biggest hangup. You know, I have this idea that's I have residue from so many different parts of my past, you know, from growing up in a religious household where money wasn't vilified by any means, but Greed was certainly vilified and, you know, living, living a simple, uh, minimalist life and giving was, um, praised, which I think, I don't think those things are incompatible. Something I've, this is a tangent, but something I've changed my mind about in the last couple of years is that wealth is a zero sum game. I think I used to believe that like me getting more money or making more money would take away from someone else in the universe. And I no longer believe that that's true. Um, I believe that we can all be much wealthier than we are and that the rising tide raises all boats, that sort of idea. Um, That's something that Naval Ravikant talks a lot about. But yeah, money is still my biggest hangup. And I definitely have a lot of residue from growing up as a climber for the last 10 or 13 years and living in this culture that glorifies dirtbagging, that glorifies doing whatever it takes to you know, live on the road and be able to climb as much as possible. And a world in which money is, and talking about money is still pretty taboo. You know, um, I worked in the climbing industry too for a while. And I remember it was, it wasn't even subtle. It was totally overt. Like the attitude of there's just no money in the climbing industry and we do it because we love it and we're all going to be broke for the rest of our lives, but that's what it is. And I'm still... You know, I mean, and my goals are different than yours too. Like I have no, I truly have no aspirations to have a seven figure business. I just want to be able to sustain my dream lifestyle, which I feel really fortunate to be living now. Basically, um, I do think I want to own a house someday. So I have some, uh, some room for improvement there, or I have a ways to go to get to that goal. But so I have different goals, but at the same time, I'm starting to realize like, 
and I hear it every day. It's not just me realizing it, but people tell me every day how much value I'm creating for them and how much of a difference this is making. And that's really starting to sink in. I'm, I'm really trying to internalize that and use that to break down these barriers I have and this residue where money and making more money and wanting to make more money feels like this icky or evil thing. So I just threw a lot at you. But anyway, money mindset is my biggest hangup. And I wonder if I came to you for coaching for this, where would we start? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a really big question and money is so tied to our childhood and what we've learned about it. So first really diving into like, you know, what did you learn about money from your dad? What did you learn about money from your mom? And do you want to keep holding on to those narratives? Yes or no. And being able to separate yourself and say like, I'm an adult now, I get to choose what I believe about money. And I think a really big part of this is actively separating yourself from people that have a negative money mindset and not having conversations about money with those people, especially if you're trying to heal your own mindset. So it's it's like having a wound and like, like agitating the wound by talking about it with people that aren't going to agree with you on this subject, because what it comes down to is it's shifting out of that scarcity and moving more towards abundance. Exactly like you said, is like, I think we can all be a lot wealthier. Hell yeah, we can be. Absolutely. But like, we have to choose that for ourselves. We have to take radical responsibility of the decisions that we've made in our lives to get us to where we're at and say like you know what like how did I get these thought patterns in the first place like why do I believe that climbing coaches can't make six figures you know like who told me this is there actual logical evidence that they cannot and at that point you're like well nope can't argue that one because there are people that have done it you know and talking to one right now (laughs) yeah like really be able to sit down and logically let go of those beliefs and find evidence for the things that you want to be true because our brains, they're so used to only supporting what we want to see and believe. It's confirmation bias. You know, we think that that thing is too expensive. So we're going to always find evidence to support that. Hmm. So for me, a really, a really big thing with money is anytime that I get money or anytime that I spend money, I am so thankful for it. Money is energy, simply put. Energy wants to go in the path of the least resistance. So if your relationship, if you were to describe your relationship with money as if you were describing a relationship to a person, what would that look like? Would it be stressful? Would it be like, wow, you're really fun when you're here, but like, man, it sucks when you're not here. Like, (laughs) (laughs) is it a really negative relationship and getting super, like writing money a letter, like getting, yeah, like, yeah, it sounds super weird, but it's really helpful because you're gonna be like, wow, I did not know I thought that way about money whatsoever. And then, every time that you spend money in the future being so thankful for it like I am so fucking thankful that I get to pay my bill for my electricity because that means I have an apartment to live in that means that I get to continue working on content and working with clients I'm so thankful to be spending money on groceries because that means I get to feed myself Hmm. so it's like how can you change all of that negative scarcity energy into being thankful and grateful for money so that you create an environment where money wants to come back to you Um, I have a journal probably like right up on my bookshelf about three years ago, I was writing (laughs) pages and pages. I would just repeat over and over again, money loves me, money loves me, money flows to me effortlessly, money flows to me effortlessly. Was it at the time? Definitely not. (laughs) Does it now? Yes, it does now because I've done a lot of that work in the past. And, you know, sometimes like 
I always say like us humans and our silly timelines that we put things on and, you know, we're impatient. We just want things to happen so fast. But what we don't realize is the work that we're putting in when nobody's watching, that's the most important work. So making sure that you're constantly monitoring your mindset around money and catching yourself. So for me, I never say anything's too expensive. I say I don't prioritize that. So therefore, I'm choosing not to purchase or invest in that thing. It's not too expensive for me. I can afford that thing if I wanted to. I would find a way to make it happen. But the more empowering stance to take is like, I'm choosing not to do that. Hmm. Yeah, that's really powerful reframing. Um, that's interesting. So hearing you use that example of the of the parents, the beliefs that we inherit from my parents, that doesn't resonate as much as me. Like when I think about where my beliefs came from, I think it really is from the climbing culture. And this idea that, no, I don't know if anyone's ever said this, probably not, but this idea that like, if you care about money or if you're trying to make more than the bare minimum, you don't love climbing as much as someone who is living in the dirt, you know, living off of uh, rice cakes or what? I don't know, whatever dirt bags are living off of these days. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Protein cookies. Yeah. Because I don't know, I really respect, I also have a ton of respect for the people that just are doing whatever it takes to make it happen. But that, that is really, those are where the rocks in my backpack have come from. I think is the climbing culture. I have another note here about journaling and I wonder if this will make sense. I don't I don't fully remember the context here, but I have a note about journaling about writing down the opposite reasons. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anytime that you tell yourself you can or can't do something, like literally sit there and question it. Like, is that an actual true belief? for you. Can you find evidence for or against it? And if you can, great, that's a limiting belief. You've identified a limiting belief for yourself. And I think, yeah, circling back to like the climbing community and kind of like that guilt and shame around money that people have, like that's them projecting their own feelings and their own choices onto somebody else. And you can choose to engage with that or not. You know, for me, that's not something that I choose to engage with because I'm not, I'm not going to be guilted or shamed into feeling bad about (laughs) wanting more money, wanting to make more money, because that means I'm also going to be able to make a bigger impact in people's lives. And when I make more money, I can donate more money to causes that I care about and actually facilitate change. Mm. So for me, if I don't, if I don't make more money, I can't make those things happen, you know? So for me, I keep that in mind a lot as well. And it's okay if other people, you know, want to think differently. That's totally fine. You know, being an entrepreneur, being a business owner, like it certainly was not everybody was cut out for this. It's, it's not easy. You know, if it were literally everybody would be doing it. So I think with the climbing community and, you know, there's a difference between being frugal and not wanting to like spend money and that's okay. As long as you're making it from that empowered place. And then there's also another point to where you're just in that scarcity lack mindset and you're just like so sure that if I spend this, it's gone. And really exploring like what other areas of your life are you living in lack? What other areas of your life are you living in scarcity and not expecting other things to come back? And what that comes around to is like relationships. A lot of people are settling in their relationships. So how can you expect to be abundant in your money and in your money mindset if you're in a relationship where you're settling and you're not thinking that anything better can come along for you. It's all interconnected. Damn. 
it's deep. Like it, it goes deep. And this is one of the things that I realized when I was talking to my my coach about like kind of like my business goals for the year. She was like, how are your relationships right now? And I was like, eh, they're fine. And she's like, fine. Like, what is that? And she was like, how can you sit there and tell the universe you want to be so successful if you you literally don't believe in yourself enough to have better relationships and to like be in abundance in all aspects of your life? And I was like, you are correct. I am, I see this. I see this now that this is not equal on all of those fronts. Yeah. Wow. That's really powerful. Um, okay. So coming back to the journaling and these opposite reasons, can you give me some examples of that? I, I remember it's like the fog is clearing, but I'd love to hear some examples from your point of view. Yeah. So let's say a good example for somebody that wants to be a business owner might be something like, okay, I want to start a business, but I don't think I'm smart enough to come up with a good idea. Um, you could sit down and write that in your journal and then literally like sit down and go through your day, your week, your life and be like, when have I made, when have I come up with good ideas? And if you actually challenge yourself to do that, you're going to come up with logical evidence that you have had good ideas in the past. So why wouldn't you be able to have more in the future? Wow. Like, yeah, it's, <laughs> literally, it's like these it. silly little things. Like it's literally like writing down to visually prove to yourself that you have what it takes. And like, we're just so like hardwired, I swear to like be hard on ourselves. And like, sometimes it, it does take just journaling and like getting things out. Another good example would be like, okay, I don't think that I can hit seven figures as a climbing coach or as, you know, somebody that works with business owners or somebody that does brain rewiring primarily because I haven't seen it done before, but have other people hit seven figures in their businesses? Hell yeah, they have, you know? So it's like sitting down and writing those things out. And just because, you know, we think it's true, have we actually done the work to get around our confirmation bias? Like probably not. Hmm. <laughs> so let's dig into brain rewiring. I mean, we've certainly talked about it already, but we haven't used that language yet. And if someone has followed you, they certainly know that that's something that you talk about a lot, and I'm sure they haven't been able to miss it. Um, and it's really interesting. I would love to hear first off, what is it? Just from a kind of a zoomed out broad perspective, how do you describe it to people? Yeah. So brain rewiring is, I mean, it's a lot of what we've been talking about. It's being able to really identify the limiting beliefs that are holding you back from the life that you want. So I think most of us, we can see ourselves in the future. We have these visualizations of like, that's what I want my life to look like. But like, why am I not there right now? So brain rewiring is the process of figuring out why you are the way that you are right now and then how to get you to that future life that you want. And for me, I went through a certification program to work with people on rewiring their brains. It's not scary. I promise it's literally, it's a lot of very deep emotional work, a lot of journaling and a lot of really like figuring out like, why am I the way that I am without guilt, without judgment and being able to say like, you know what? Like, yes, maybe I've held those stories in the past, but I'm choosing to let those those go right now. I'm choosing to write a new narrative and story for myself. And it can be a really empowering journey. Um, again, it's really deep emotional work. It's a lot of being able to go back to your childhood and say, like, where did I pick these things up? It's going back to your traumatic experiences and really being able to do a lot of reframing and thought shifting around that instead of saying like, oh, this thing happened to me. How can you shift that to where then you are thankful for it happening for you because it brought you new experiences. It brought you opportunities. It connected you with different people. So it's really all about being able to shift your perspective. And instead of embracing everything in life, like, oh man, that is like a hard stop 
obstacle for me. Like, how is this actually just a challenge or an opportunity to help me grow? Because our, we're going to get a little woo here. I believe that all (laughs) of our souls have signed a contract coming into this life that we have right now. And whatever you are faced with, like you would not be given more than you can handle. Like you've never not overcome the things that you've encountered. So being able to remember that for yourself as well. And brain rewiring is this really powerful way of like essentially reminding you of your power, you know, Hmm. somewhere along the way we've forgotten it, but brain rewiring helps you step back into that. This might be personal and, and feel free to, to punt on this question, but I'd love to hear if you're open to it. Can you share an example of a narrative or a belief that you rewired through this certification process or something recently that you've been working on? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm an open book too. Like I awesome. I don't think I've ever awesome. said no to a question. <laughs> um, I'll share I'll share literally whatever with anyone because for me, you know, if I expect my clients to be really vulnerable and open with me, but I'm unwilling to do it myself, like there's, you know, well, obviously disconnect. Uh, yeah, but they're not doing it on a podcast. <laughs> it's going to be heard by thousands of people. So <laughs> Great. I'm excited. Um, okay. So for me, I've had a lot of jobs route setting in the past. And as a female, that's not particularly easy. I don't think it's easy no matter who you are. Um, it's very physical work. And for me, I ended up in an environment where it wasn't particularly beneficial for me because I, I was essentially being berated every day. Um, I was told at one point that I was the, you know, weakest member of the team, the weakest link. And, you know, why would we hire another female besides you if you're already the weakest member? So I had that narrative in my head for a very long time, you know, that I was weak. I was the weak member of the team. And because of that, I was like, wow, like I wouldn't make a good leader. I don't think I have any value that I can bring to people. Like it really messed with my head for a, for a very long time. And, you know, it was something that like, now I look back at it and I'm like, yeah, that was really traumatic. Like that really like changed a lot of courses in my life. And, you know, maybe some people that wouldn't be very traumatic for, but for me that, that really changed a lot of things. So with brain rewiring, really taking that, that event that happened and it happened multiple times in different ways and being able to say, you know what, like, I'm thankful for that happening because that allowed me to be so strong. Like I would not be where I am right now if that hadn't happened to me. I would have probably still been route setting. I probably still would have been, you know, doing whatever to make ends meet. I wouldn't have risen to the challenge and tried to like actively overcome that or to try to prove myself even more. So, you know, yeah, it sucked that it happened. You know, I'm not validating or excusing what happened in that situation or scenario, but I'm saying, you know what, I'm thankful that it did because it allowed me to grow and it allowed me to become who I am right now. And this is, this is the path that I was meant to be on. So a lot of it, what we do with brain rewiring is around worth and value because we have these things every day that, you know, essentially just try to tear us down and reminding ourselves of our worth. So taking that literal statement, like you are the weakest link, like, no, I'm not. Absolutely. I'm not, you know, seeing that person for their soul and saying like, you know what, maybe they were hurt. Maybe they have a lot of wounds that they haven't healed themselves, but just because they said that thing to me doesn't mean that I need to accept it and take it on as my truth. Mm -hmm. So being able to let that go a lot and then say like, you know what, I have so much value that I can bring to the world that that's the story that I'm choosing to believe. And also I've got so many messages to literally back that up. Every time somebody sends me, you know, a message saying, Hey, thank you so much for this. I literally take a screenshot of it and I have this folder in my phone that's called for when you need it. You know, there's times where you're like, what am I doing with my life? And I will go look at those messages and be like, you know what? I was 
put here to do this work. And this is literal proof, like having that written down proof, I can't argue with that right now. So yeah, being able to rewrite that narrative a lot and having a lot of forgiveness around that too. And I think with brain rewiring, that's a huge part of it is like we, we hold a lot of you know, grudges against people for doing things, quote, to us. And oftentimes it can be really hard to take responsibility for our own roles in that situation as well. Like, I take full responsibility. I chose that job. You know, I chose to put myself in that situation every single day where I wasn't being treated correctly. And that's not, you know, that's that's partly my fault as well. So being able to take that responsibility and again, not justifying it, but just saying that's what happened and that's okay. But here's the new story that I choose to write because of that. Hmm. I wonder if you could guide me through a daily practice. Like if I wanted to start, let's say specifically digging into this money mindset thing and breaking down these narratives, this, you know, digging into this backpack full of rocks that I'm carrying around with me and start unpacking some of those. Um, just to dip my toe in the water, you know, I don't want to steal all of your trade secrets here, but is it a daily practice? What does the practice look like? And what is something that I could try to dip my toe in the water of brain rewiring? Yeah, I love it. So the first question is like, do you want to let go of that back of, backpack of rocks? Because <laughs> if, if somebody's uh, not ready, and some people not, might not be ready. I'm laughing because I'm like, damn, <laughs> that's real. <laughs> it is real. Like, you're like, no, it's comfortable. I'm used to the weight now. Totally. You know? totally. Like, I don't want it to change. I don't know what's going to be on the other side of this. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. are you ready? That's probably the first one. You know, like, essentially, are you sick enough of your own shit to make a change? <laughs> Then there's, you know, there might be some like event that happens that like causes that. But typically that's what it is for people is like, nope, I literally cannot take this anymore. I'm ready. Okay, let's do this. So first of all, I mean, it's it's going to come back to like basic mindfulness. Like, can you identify those points in time where you slip into that negative money mindset, where you're feeling resentful towards money, that you feel, you know, bad for spending money because we attach a lot of emotions to money, like a lot of them. So being mindful of when that happens and again, not having judgment around how you're feeling, but just noticing it and then saying, how can I change that internal dialogue that I'm using to something that's more empowering and something that is more of that abundance mindset to where I'm grateful for money and I want it to come to me a lot more. I really do want it to flow back towards me. So being very mindful and then for all of my brain rewiring clients, I have meditations that are guided. Um, people can do unguided meditations. I am not one of those people. I get very distracted and I'm like thinking about 30,000 other things. So for me, the, the guided ones work really well. And within those, they're 15 minute meditations. So really being able to say, okay, what is the limiting belief that we're working on today? Get very clear on it. What is the story that you want to replace it with? So what are your positive affirmations? And then we're going to dive into is really thinking about those past happy memories that you have. And the reason that that's so important is because with visualization, it's a really powerful practice. But what we're doing with brain rewiring is we're trying to raise our frequency and vibration. And what does that is by experiencing positive emotions. So by thinking of those happy past memories, we're raising our frequency and our vibration, we're putting ourselves in that happy state, and then we're pairing it with what we want in the future. And our brain is like, cool, happy future, let's make it happen now. Hmm. So it's really just bridging that gap a lot closer. So keeping you in a really high frequency state. So for all of my clients, I just gave them this homework this week, actually. I'm like, okay, your job is literally to do something that makes you happy and laugh and smile every single day. Like, <laughs> yep, it sounds really lame and it sounds really basic. Uh, I'm definitely not doing that. 
<laughs> I Seriously. Have in a year. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, I laugh a lot. I, I have a I'm really happy. I have a great life, but I definitely don't do that every day. That's super interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So you're trying to get your brain to to realize like, hey, that happy thing that we want in the future, that can actually start to happen. Now, um, our brains don't actually know the difference between perception and reality. They only know what we tell it. So if during those meditations, you're continually telling it, this is the future that I want and I want it to happen now, it's going to start to move towards that a lot more quickly. How do you see that play out? Is it just, is it through uh, just a ton of little small decisions that we make throughout the day that we aren't even aware of, or is it through our, th- our thought processes and, you know, being op- more open to opportunities that arise that we would have not noticed. I mean, what is the, for someone like me, who's an engineer and, you know, a practical, <laughs> I love the woo as well, but I'm, I'm curious, like, what do you think is the mechanism there? Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. I think it really changes the way that we think about things. So for me, a big part of brain rewiring is this thing called thought shifting. So again, it's saying, how can we take that like victim mindset of like, oh, this happened to me and change it to this happened for me. For me, that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that have made the biggest impact is it literally just changed my entire perspective on things. And once you really start to think that way, I think it becomes very hard to tolerate things that you don't feel are good for you. Ah, yeah. Yeah. You start to see your worth and your value and you're like, that's that doesn't match up with this. I think I need to let that thing go. And whether that's something like um, a relationship, I let a, a large relationship go in 2020 and it was really hard. But I knew for me that just it wasn't aligning anymore and it was something that needed to happen. And it can be really difficult for a lot of people to make those big decisions. But once you kind of see that future version of yourself, anything that doesn't line up with that, like... At some point, you've got to be willing to let it go. So it sounds like my homework is to first really get real about this backpack full of rocks that I'm carrying around, specifically my limiting beliefs that I have around money, and then to write down some affirmations or some you know evidence for the opposite, and then to sit in these meditations and to think about a happy memory. Is that, by the way, is the happy thought or the memory... Is that related to this or can it be anything? It can be anything. Um, For me, I like to keep, it it helps me to keep things a little separate. So it's like if I'm doing one, you know, based on climbing and wanting to get stronger, then I'll think of past happy climbing memories. And if I'm doing one more around like my worth and my value, then I'll do like, oh, happy family memories or something like that. So, I mean, it can be anything. It can be really large, happy memories, like really big events that have happened, but it can also be really small. Like, oh, yesterday I got to sit in the sun and that was fucking awesome. You know, so it's like, (laughs) how detailed can you get on those too? Like, I literally want my clients to be able to like smell their past happy memory, like down to the detail, like taste, touch, everything, like be fully immersed in it. Hmm. Smell the fresh cut grass or whatever it is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, sit in this meditation and practice mindfulness, bring this happy thought to mind and then immerse yourself in this, almost like this, this manifesting thought process of just like thinking through this vision that you have for your future that you want to move towards. Is that kind of the, the process there? Is yep, that is that yep. my homework? That's your homework, and <laughs> and once per once per day, or do you do this throughout the day? How does that look? 
Yeah, usually it's about, um, I generally have my clients do an hour, so four rounds wow. of the 15 wow. minutes. Yeah, I mean, and that's why brain rewiring, the the process that I teach and do, it's a big commitment. You know, yeah. it's, it's literally yeah. changing your entire life. So it's, it's important that it's, you know, a very... <sighs> Good that makes sense. Chunk makes of your sense. time, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's a commitment for sure. So yeah, with that, that last piece is that future visualizations and like allowing yourself to dream really big because mm. immediately mm. we're gonna put limits on ourselves <laughs> and immediate, immediate. Like, yeah, it's literally like when my when my business clients yeah. have goals, I'm like, that's cool. Let's double that, and then they're like, <laughs> what? No, and I'm like, that is possible for you. That is out there for you. You don't have to want that necessarily, but don't put limits on yourself. Like, uh, you know, when I was working with climbing clients, a lot of them are like, yeah, I'd love to climb like V4 or V7. And I'm like, that's cool. I think you can climb a lot harder than that. You just have to give yourself permission to like dream really big. Yeah. Maybe it's going to take longer time than you want. Because again, like who are we to put our human timelines on things? Like everything that you want is going to happen for you. And if you start operating on that baseline of knowing that the things that I want, they're guaranteed to come to me, I think it takes a lot of the pressure and a lot of the stress off of it. Hmm. I wonder what your thoughts are on sharing that publicly or sharing that with uh, with friends or family for people listening. Because for me, I'm starting to do that. I'm starting to lean into and be more open about my climbing goals. Like I have some very big climbing goals. I want to climb 14C and I haven't quite climbed 14a yet so that feels audacious to say i'm pretty reluctant to even say to even think about what my money or income goals might be out loud on the podcast i don't know what it is but maybe part of my brain is thinking you know people listening are going to be like that arrogant asshole or he's so pretentious or whatever it is but you're you talk about it very openly, and I don't have any of those thoughts towards you that I'm imagining people would have towards me. So I'm curious, do you find that sharing that out loud, you know, for for the exact audience of people that are the ones that are paying you the money that are getting you closer to this goal, do you find that that helps? What are your thoughts on sharing it and accountability and things like that, saying it all out loud? Yeah, I mean, the most important thing is like, are you in your integrity? You know, are you mm. being authentic? Mm. And for me, it's always been like, how can I make the biggest impact? But also, I know that I need to charge what I'm worth, because otherwise, I'm not going to show up fully. And I'm not going to get people transformations. My number one goal as a business owner is to get people the transformations that they're looking for. Mm. And mm. if that involves me needing to charge a certain amount in order to do that, because then I'm going to show up 100% fully with my full power in order to get them those results and transformations, that's what it has to be. You know, I've had group programs in the past where I realized the price point wasn't high enough because the accountability, it, it just wasn't there. You know, people stopped showing up at a certain point in time because money can be a great motivator. You know, you've paid money to a program, you're going to show up and you're going to do the work. And then that's, you know, how you get the results ultimately. So for me, what I also try to remind myself of is like, I'm not for everybody and I'm okay with that. If people are going to judge me for those types of things, that says a lot more about them than it does about me. Hmm. And I'm okay being very open about my goals. Um, I wasn't in the beginning because yeah, I was like, who am I to say these things and who am I 
to do these things and people are going to judge me. And what I realized is like, you know, I'm not going to actually attract my people and the people that are actually going to want to work with me if I don't share what I've done before. Mm. And I do believe a lot in the power of manifestation. And I think one of the big pieces of that is speaking what you want out into the world as well. And again, like releasing a lot of those timelines that we might have and operating on that, like, yes, this is inevitable. It's going to happen. But I'm unattached as to when it's going to happen. I'm still going to work really hard to make those things happen. Um, For me, a big climbing goal of mine has been to climb V10. And I'm like, wow, this has been a literal goal for seven years. It has not happened yet. Do I know it'll happen at some point in time? Yes. Um, You know, I'm not going to work any less hard to make that happen. And it it is scary to put those out into the world because, you know, it, it has to do with our relationship with failure. And for me, I've actually done a lot of work around that. And I don't, I I don't even, failure is like really honestly not a word in my language anymore because (laughs) everything is literally a learning opportunity, Mm. you know, like every single thing brings you closer to either what you do want or what you don't want and starting to embrace that and really broadening your definition of success as well, I think is really important, you know, as climbers, especially we're like, yeah, success is like, I sent it and it's like, well, if that's your definition of success, you're going to feel like shit 99% of the time because it's just, you know, or you're not trying hard enough things. Like, so really redefining, like, what are those micro successes? Like maybe my success today is I just showed up. Like maybe I pet a dog, like it can be that small. Like, but we, you know, we think of it as so black and white. I sent or I didn't, but like, honestly, like, being able to tap into those smaller successes that you can feel better about yourself, I think is totally worth it. Mm. Yeah. One, uh, one that pops to my mind right now, like one small success for me right now is, is being patient and listening, listening to a grumpy finger pulley. You know, I have a very minor finger pulley tweak and it's, I've really been struggling with that. Like it's not getting any worse through climbing through it, but it's not, resolving and I want to be able to crimp really hard again. And, uh, a big win this week is just zooming out and being patient and reminding myself that I'm taking, I'm playing the long game. And if I take a little time off and heal this thing, that's going to serve me the best, but yeah, it can, it can be success can look like a lot of different things. I, I really like that. Um, I want to respect your time and I have a another call here in a bit, so we should probably start wrapping up. I want to ask one more listener question. This is a question from Curtis, and he asks, can you ask her what trends she is seeing in her clients that are having performance breakthroughs? And I thought we could split this up. Maybe let's tackle this as far as climbing goes, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts on business breakthroughs as well. Let's start with uh, climbing training clients. So typically what I see with people, and this is what I saw for myself as well, is like they kind of only wanted to focus on those physical goals and they were really attaching a lot of worth to being able to see the numbers. But where I think a lot of the change happens is, you know, somebody can do something like a two or three month training plan and then be like, wow, like, yeah, you know, I feel better, but like, are the numbers really that different? And that's where you have to remind yourself of 
is like, yeah, it, it, it does matter more how you feel, but it's also that long game, like three months in the span of things is really not that long. So you're probably not going to see too much change happen in those three months, unless you've literally never trained before. And the longer your training age is and the higher your training age is, the longer it's going to take to see those results. And that's where a lot of that mindset work comes in. And I think that's why I was so drawn to it at first is because I was giving so much credit to the physical, but really it was all of these mindset changes that I was diving into that was making the biggest impact. So I think for me, you know, a lot of people might come to me first, primarily for climbing training. And then they realize like, oh shit, like I'm super hard on myself. I'm not very nice to myself. And honestly, like I don't feel very good about myself. So let's maybe start to work on those things. And I mean, honestly, it's the same for business as well. Like it's really like, yeah, I have all these goals to make money and I have all these goals to, you know, serve X amount of clients. But what it really comes back to is like, how do you feel at the end of the day? And that's what we're doing a lot of the work around. Hmm. Is that the same answer for business? It seems like it kind of applies to both. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Like we, we yeah. have all these, um, I, I like to call them vanity metrics. So vanity metrics, are, <laughs> yeah. Anything you can measure, honestly, like, you know, I can hang X amount of pounds on the 20 millimeter edge or I have X amount of followers on Instagram, whatever it is. But like, how does that make you feel? Like, do you feel strong? Do you feel like you're making an impact? Because those things are a lot more important. Do you practice brain rewiring every day for yourself? I do. So it's a 90, 90 day minimum. Usually, um, sometimes people need more, you know, six months up to a year. So for me, I'm on month six or seven, I believe for myself. And yeah, it's something that I do every day. I've definitely moved away from doing the hour a day because it's been, it's been long enough now to where I don't need to do that. So at least one 15 minute round per day, absolutely. Or I'll substitute in something like shadow work or inner child healing. Those are big components of brain rewiring. So for me, if I do something like that, then I usually call it good for the day. Um, I kind of like check my spiritual tick tick mark there on that one and call it good. Okay. <laughs> Would you be willing to share an area that you are working on rewiring right now or a belief? Yeah. So I went into it with a really shallow um I think goals, like I literally just wanted to grow my business and climb V10. Like those are my goals going into brain rewiring. <laughs> and now what I'm re realizing is like, holy shit, like there's so much um, fear of rejection and abandonment that I have huh. um, just based oh. off of like my childhood and previous relationships that I've been on that is ultimately affects how I show up in the world. It affects how I interact with people and it affects how, what I think about myself. So for me, that's something that I've been working a lot around is you know, not necessarily hiding because I'm afraid of that rejection and abandonment, but changing what that, what I'm making that mean about myself, if that makes sense. Like just because I'm perceiving it that way, doesn't mean that's what it is. And doesn't mean that has anything to do with my inherent value. Mm. I would love to ask you, are, are there any books that you recommend to your clients? Any books, business books or or other, any books, other books that have been the most impactful for you or books that you recommend? Oh, this is going to be maybe a controversial one. Um, I actually don't <laughs> read a lot of books. I don't intake a lot of information at this point in time because, like, again, running a very intuitive-based business, I think having a lot of external input can feel very overwhelming. Mm. And mm. it can 
either cause you to second guess or not listen to your intuition. So for me, for like this point and period of time, like I don't prefer to learn by reading books. And I know that sounds terrible. Um, I not really a, love fantasy, all. but like, okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's just like right now, that's where I am. Um, I love fantasy books. For me, that allows me to get into like my creative feminine energy quite a bit more and it allows me to actually relax versus if I'm reading a book that is like okay let's build your business a how actionable is that because I paid $15 for it like what type of accountability or follow-through is there not it's low really low on the on the bar there and it just it sometimes feels very conflicting because you know people have different methods and whatnot and for me, what I, I typically recommend for my clients is like find a mentor, find something that you really resonate with and get as far and deep into their container as possible until you don't resonate with them anymore. Mm. And then you can go, you know, potentially find somebody else. But if you're constantly intaking multiple sources of information, I think it can create a lot of like overwhelm and it can feel really difficult to take that next step. Mm. That's interesting. I just had so many thoughts come to mind with that. Um, I mentioned Naval Ravikant already, but he he is another mentor of mine, another famous person who I haven't met, but he has a really interesting perspective on reading and on books. And he realized at one point that he was never, he didn't have enough life left to read all the books that he wanted to read. There's just too many. So what he started doing is he, he decided, you know, I'm going to pick, I've already read many incredible books. I'm going to pick a few of my absolute favorites that have had the most impact and get to know them really, really well and just reread those. And he has this quote that if you take in too much advice or too much information, it all cancels to zero. And that really resonates with me. I think that's a really interesting idea. And another thought that popped into my head related to this podcast actually is that this is something that I've thought about and struggled with because I've been on Kind of, kind of both sides of this. I, I think it's an interesting uh, balancing act where I have definitely been the person that just binged information through other podcasts and completely overwhelmed myself. You know, just taking in and taking in, almost like a junkie. Like I need the next little hit of in- insight or the next nugget, whatever it is, that is going to improve my life. And before I know it. You know, I, I, uh, I'm just completely overwhelmed. I can't even remember what I was listening to yesterday, let alone last week. And some of the things I listened to seemed life-changing when, when I was listening to them and they're, they're already buried. So I've struggled with that with this podcast. Like, am I just adding to that? And what I would, what I've realized and what I would say to people is that, no, I've continued to, I've continued to learn and grow and get a lot out of listening to conversations with people because there are a lot of themes. I think there's a lot of value in, in looking into the underlying themes that are there when people seemingly have conflicting advice. And then also realizing that there's a lot of different ways to the same goal. And if you're listening to training advice, for instance, on this podcast that seems conflicting with what you listened to in the last episode, that's okay. That doesn't mean that one of them was wrong it's an opportunity to pick the one that you really resonate with or that resonates with you and just go for it. And that will take you somewhere that will take you, you know, to a different place than where you're at now. And at some point that will likely resonate with you less. And maybe it'll be time to look for the next thing or, or the next great idea will resonate with you at the right time. But 
and maybe it's a process of taking bits and pieces and, and kind of crafting your own. You know, that's kind of what I've done with my diet and with my training is taking little pieces and insights and trying a lot of things and realizing like what I like and what works and what doesn't seem to work as well. And anyway, um, yeah, those are all the thoughts that came to mind as you were sharing all that, but that's interesting. So I have to ask, what are some of your favorite fantasy books? Oh, I love it. Okay. I actually have a, a really good highlight on my Instagram page as well, because that's, <laughs> that's one thing I think that people like, you know, they, it's another way for people to connect with me is like, I love fantasy. Like, I just love it. Like, I show that a lot. Um, for me, all-time favorite is The Name of the Wind, The King Killer Chronicles. Just excellent. If nobody, if you have not read that by Patrick Rothfuss, absolutely 100% recommend. Um, that has been a book that I will just reread because it is super, super good. And then also The Red Rising trilogy. The Red Rising. Okay. Mm -hmm. Really great. Um, the last three books didn't quite finish, but the first mm. three were excellent. Um, and then also, you know, Harry Potter classic, mm -hmm. definitely. <laughs> I reread those, um, pretty frequently. And then right now I'm reading a book of the spell slinger, the spell slinger, spell slinger. Okay. Yep. For me, I really like, uh, books that I can get lost in. Like for me, that feels really good because my brain works like very logically works very hard all day. So again, that's like another thing of like, yeah, I don't want to add more things and reading is something that like really helps me relax and like wind down at night. And I think kind of like going back to your point of like, am I just adding more noise with this podcast? Like I definitely don't think so. I think you're a connector for people. You're you're getting people to where they need to go. You know, you're showing them like you're being an expander for people. You're saying, hey, here's another person that maybe you're going to resonate with. Cool. If you want to go learn more about them, go over there. Like you're really facilitating a lot of these connections and growing a community. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I feel that that resonates, um, you know, not only from the number of people that are tuning in, but from the feedback that I get from a lot of people. And uh, it's... Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Thank you. I guess I'll just leave it at that. I really appreciate that. Um, I, I have to, I actually knew that Harry Potter was one, <laughs> one on your list and I was going to skip over this cause we are getting short on time, but now I have to ask, we were talking about brain rewiring and rewriting personal narratives. And I just have a note that says the Hogwarts letter. And I truly have no idea what it means. I don't remember if we talked about it on the phone and I forgot or if we never got to it. But um, what is the Hogwarts letter? Oh, yeah. I said when I when I actually kind of like finished with my first like official round of brain rewiring, like I feel like I had gotten my acceptance letter to Hogwarts. Like I literally <laughs> felt so tapped into the universe. And like, honestly, whatever I asked, like was going to manifest physically into my life like it was like this crazy I was like wow I literally I feel like I have magic like <laughs> is this cheating I don't know but we're gonna go with it um yeah so that was that was a really crazy point in time because I remember reading those books when I was younger and being like am I gonna get my letter like knowing that I you know I wasn't going to but like kind of like hoping that there was some like magic out there in the world that could create this life that I want and for me that like literally was brain rewiring hmm. <laughs> what uh what house what hogwarts house would you hope to be in if you ha if you had to sit down and try to manifest 
Oh, I mean, I've I know this very clearly. I'm a Slytherin. Oh, <laughs> they, they get a bad rap. They get a bad rap. But um, I think it's the uh, it's yeah, it's like wanting to make an impact and like wanting to like have a lot of connections. I think mm. that's what it comes down to. Like that's I think that's the house I'm in. Mm. The connections and the the maybe the ambition without all the evil. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like if if they didn't have the negative connotation attached, it would be just like, yeah, I'd be like, yes, I'm a proud Slytherin. But at this point in time, I'm like, I'm a Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. OK. I always ask this question. What is something that you have been feeling especially grateful for lately? Oh, this is great. Um, The sun. Literally the sun. The sun. Nice. Like nice. it is... 50-ish here in Salt Lake and you know sometimes it gets a bit gray in the winter and you just realize like holy shit like it it just feels really good to sit in the sun I'm really grateful to be moving in the next week as well like just can't believe I have this opportunity to move to Leavenworth and to be able to spend some time there and hopefully have like a decent season like it very grateful for that as an opportunity cool there's a lot of V10s there to try there are so many. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. I know. I was like looking at my guidebook the other night and being like, which one is it going to be? And, you know, during that process, my brain is like, you're not going to do any of those. And I had to, yeah, it's like constant like game of being like, I am going to, I am going to, like, maybe that's not the one, but one of these is going to be it. <laughs> awesome. And what is, I mean, you just mentioned moving to Leavenworth, but maybe as far as, What's next for your business? What's next for um, for your coaching? What is something that you are feeling excited about right now? Yeah, so I don't do a lot of like future planning in my business, which I think would probably freak a lot of people out. Like they want to have like their five-year business plan. And for me, again, it's like very intuitive based. So I think my next logical step is I'm going to be opening up more spots for business coaching and then also doing something like a business coaching mastermind that I've done in the past, but making it at a more affordable cost point for people that have just started their businesses. Um, I do have a business program called Ignite that is for people that have just started, but sometimes it can feel really difficult to do a program like that without the support aspect. So for me, I'm going to be adding more of that community feel and giving people connections you know, to other people that they can actually be like, wow, you're actually in the same place as me. Like this feels really good and be able to facilitate a lot more of that community feel. So for me, I think it's going to be the business direction for a little bit right now. Um, I just started Synergy, which is my brain rewiring program this week, which is really exciting. Um, so that'll probably relaunch at some point later in this year. Not sure when yet, but I think for now that's kind of that's kind of what I've got going. Okay. Okay. And where can people find you? Of course, you're on Instagram. That's how we connected. And I'll link to your Instagram. But um, but yeah, what else do you have going on? You have a website? Yep. So ladybetacoaching.com. And okay. then I also do have a podcast, the Lady Beta podcast. But primarily, I'm over on Instagram and then also at the podcast. And if people haven't heard your podcast, can you, what is the, uh, what's the vibe? What can they expect from that? It's great, by the way. I enjoy it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, I that. listened to a handful of episodes leading up to this. 
sometimes, yeah, with podcasting, you're like, am I just speaking into the void? Um, so it's, it's well, what you do is really hard. I am working on my first like longer form solo episode right now, um, sharing a, a personal story about a period where I restricted my eating and kind of starved myself for a while. And I'm blown away at how difficult it is. It is so much different than having a conversation and asking questions um, and, and seeing the reaction of a human in front of you. It's yeah, it's really difficult what you do. So it is. I it's allowing it. yourself to be seen, <laughs> like fully. Like this is yeah. me. This is this yeah. is I, no distractions here. Nobody else to like riff, yeah. riff off of. But yeah. for for the podcast, what you can expect is what I hope anyway is a place for you to feel really safe and really understood. Because I've been, you know, I've been through a lot of things that I think a lot of people have also been through, but maybe have not had a place to talk about it. You know, because if they don't have people in their lives that like either want to listen to this, or maybe they don't understand because they don't climb. Um, For me, it started out as primarily like a climbing based podcast. But I talk a lot about business. I talk a lot, a lot about mindset. Um, I have a couple episodes on fear of falling that have been really popular. And then just also, I don't want to say tough love, but it's really like, okay, like getting getting you to take that radical responsibility for where you're at in your life, but then offering you tools to help you change that mm-hmm. as well. So it's a lot of mindset. It's, you know, some, some woo in there and then also some business stuff. Mm. Very cool. I will link to your website and your podcast in the show notes for people at thenuggetclimbing.com, where you can always find show notes for every episode. Um, Chelsea, thank you so much for your time today. This has been incredibly valuable for me personally. We've covered a ton of stuff, and this is definitely one that I'm going to be listening back through again and again. And I'm going to be doing my homework and uh, sitting down and rewiring my brain a little bit every day from from here on out and i'm curious to see what happens so yeah thank you again uh for your time i really appreciate it and i'm really glad we connected yeah is there there, we covered a lot of stuff is there any do you have any final thoughts any final thing that you would want to leave listeners with that we haven't talked about any last remarks i think generally like if you know where you were meant for something more you were like, we, we don't get these little like inklings for nothing. You weren't led to certain things for no reason. Um, I don't believe in coincidences. So if you, you have that little thought in the back of your head, that's like, Oh, I think I should do more with my life. Follow it. I love it. That is a perfect note to leave people with. Well, thank you again. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, I hope you have. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and check off all those things on your things you get to do today list. <laughs> and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Shake it up, stop when the clock hits 13. You've been working, but you're flirting with the weekend. You can freak out. One in a million. You're a gem shine when the light grows dim. Sing one, two, three, four. Cuz, cuz, cuz. We got